This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Why don't American Catholic politicians defend the faith? On September 12, 1960, the Democrats' presidential candidate, Senator John Kennedy, described his view of being a public official and a Catholic. In his mind, being elected was more important than being faithful. Of course, he did not state that sentiment in simple words. He expressed it more eloquently. Quote, I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president, who happens also to be a Catholic. Unquote. Ever since that time, Catholics who wanted to hold public office, mayors, governors, congressmen, senators, judges, and whatever else, followed Mr. Kennedy's lead. That includes the current president, Joe Biden. In fact, Mr. Biden goes far beyond Mr. Kennedy's statement. He shows a real talent for taking the anti-Catholic positions while insisting that he is a quote-unquote devout Catholic. Mr. John Horvat discusses this contradiction in his essay, Why Joe Biden's Rosary is So Important. President Joe Biden's insistence on his good standing with the Catholic Church is at odds with his positions on procured abortion, same-sex quote-unquote marriage, socialism, and quote-unquote transgender activism. He is the second Catholic president in the nation's history, and in the short time he has been in office, the most anti-Catholic one. He has managed to offend and alienate most conservative Catholics, including some bishops and clergy, by his positions on moral issues. By his unwillingness to compromise, he shows no concern about obtaining their votes. However, Mr. Biden enjoys the adulation and resounding support of the Catholic liberal establishment. He can count on the backing of progressive clergy, many of them in prominent positions, Jesuit universities, and key Catholic figures provide cover for his errant views. Make no mistake about it, Joe Biden and the political left depend on their connections to the church. The open support of Catholic liberals projects their influence on the Catholic center. It is the narrow formula that Mr. Biden used for victory, securing 49% of the decisive Catholic vote. Much depends on maintaining the outward appearances of being Catholic. Such considerations make no judgment on the sincerity of Mr. Biden's faith, but only on the political consequences of his external actions. The White House and the liberal media are zealous in their portrayal of Mr. Biden as a quote-unquote devout Catholic. The future may well rest on things like Joe Biden's rosary. Mr. Biden has been careful to surround himself with Catholic references and symbols. The president recently held a virtual conversation with Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador. He cited Our Lady of Guadalupe to whom he quote-unquote paid respect during a visit. Mr. Biden then displayed his rosary beads as proof of his faith. Mr. Biden visited Mexico four times as vice president. He knows the political situation in this highly secular, anti-Catholic state. He does not need to impress a leftist, anti-Catholic Mexican president with talk of a rosary. The pro-abortion Mexican president is hostile to the church. 
He recently asked the church to apologize for helping to conquer the human-sacrificing, cannibalistic Aztec population in the years 1519 to 1521. However, the media were quick to project the image of the rosary beads as a validation of Mr. Biden's piety. They were quick to turn his quote-unquote respect into devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Joe Biden's rosary is testimony to the power of Catholic symbols. The Church has a unique ability to express its doctrines and beliefs through symbols that attract the faithful. The symbols also give expression to experiences found in daily life. The symbol of the cross, for example, poignantly expresses the resignation of dealing with the trials of life and the beauty of redemptive suffering. For this reason, Catholic imagery and symbols attract, encourage, and inspire the faithful to the practice of virtue and the worship of God. They are powerful instruments to convey messages about salvation and eternal life. While recognizing the power of Catholic symbols, the Catholic left has always known the poverty of its own symbols. It has typically used the most traditional church symbols to pursue its liberal agendas. When firmly in power, Marxists will betray these symbols and ruthlessly impose their atheistic creed. When Fidel Castro was fighting as a guerrilla in the Sierra Maestra during the 50s, for example, he and his men would visibly wear religious medals and rosaries to reassure the people that they meant no harm to religion. When he came to power, he turned on the church with persecutions and purges. Likewise, Liberation Theology's followers build on traditional symbols and practices to introduce Marxist dialectics into the debate and fuel their revolutions. The use of religious symbols also represents a weakness on the part of the left. The nature of symbols is to express visibly that which is not visible, such as qualities and principles. The dynamism of good is to manifest its principles openly and radiantly since it has nothing to hide. However, the dynamism of evil is to hide its principles and motives. It advances through subterfuge and ruses. Marxism recognizes no moral law and thus feels free to use religious symbols when suitable. The atheistic left would much prefer to advance without the use of symbols of the other side. However, its symbols often hold no attraction. That is why Joe Biden's rosary is so important. It has nothing to do with the sincerity of Mr. Biden's faith. That is best left for other debates. It has everything to do with the rosary's periodic appearance that Democrat ideologues tolerate it because it reassures an uneasy Catholic public. The politicizing of the beads does present risks. The left uses it, yet it wants to destroy it. However, the rosary can also destroy those who abuse it. The bead's occasional appearance creates confusion in the minds of countless Catholics who cannot understand the violent clash between the Immaculate Marian virtues represented by the rosary and the pro-abortion politics of this liberal politician who once presided over a same-sex quote-unquote marriage and advocates transsexual procedures for minors. When Joe Biden presents his beads in public, it is a reminder of 
all that the rosary represents. The rosary is a profound meditation on our Lord Jesus Christ's life, death, passion, and resurrection that the left would prefer to be forgotten. The rosary is also that prayer that calls on the Mother of God to fulfill her promises made at Fatima, to triumph over the Church's enemies. Like President Biden, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo was also raised as a Catholic. He got the best education that Catholics in Queens, New York could provide, Immaculate Conception School and Archbishop Malloy High School. Then he jumped across the East River to get a degree from the Jesuit-run Fordham University of the Bronx. He is not as overtly observant as President Biden, but he has never specifically refuted his Catholic heritage either. However, the day after Easter, 2020, Governor Cuomo denied the power of God in a statement about the coronavirus. Mr. Rex Teodosio asks an important question in the title of his essay, Did Catholic Governor Andrew Cuomo blaspheme against God? On Easter Monday, Governor Andrew Cuomo made a comment about the coronavirus fight that caused a storm of complaints. Many are even calling it blasphemous. He said, quote, The number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do that. Fate did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. Unquote. When CBS New York posted the video, the comment section was full of negative remarks. One person wrote, I am disgusted with his statement. Another said, Was Cuomo attacking people of faith? He really needs to watch his mouth. Several labeled it blasphemy, and over 120 people agreed. One man wrote, New York will suffer for what blasphemy came out of that mouth. Other comments were even stronger, alluding to judgment, punishments, and the devil. In addition, video viewers still remember that horrifying scene when Governor Cuomo and the New York Democratic Majority Legislature wildly cheered the passage and signing of the late-term abortion bill last year. One wrote that the governor's comments were to be expected from a quote-unquote infant murderer. Governor Andrew Cuomo's Easter Monday remarks offended God-fearing Americans all over the country. He shows not only disdain for the faithful, but also a lack of understanding about how God works and acts in society. Governor Cuomo, for example, does not understand where many healthcare workers found the strength to carry on their arduous work. These heroic professionals exposed themselves and their families to the pathogen. They worked overtime until exhausted, and then came back the following day. It would be insulting to say that extra work hours and paycheck bonuses alone motivated these professionals. No amount of money can compensate someone for catching the illness and risk dying from it. Yet the motivation cannot possibly be devotion to the governor. These healthcare professionals were probably not inspired by the governor's pleas to beat the virus. Generally, these selfless individuals are motivated by a love of neighbor, which in turn comes from a love of God. This devotion could be seen in many news reports and pictures showing healthcare professionals gathering to pray on rooftops, break rooms, and even emergency tents all over the United States, including in New York. This example of self-sacrifice was given by the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
His sacrifice is fresh in everyone's mind, as the holy season of Lent has just ended. How many Christians everywhere learned from Christ's example? He proved that greater love has no man than he who gives his life for his neighbor. These healthcare professionals put this principle into action in their daily work. How many of these workers drew their energy, strength, and perseverance from Christ? This love of God is a primary motivating factor for countless healthcare professionals. The governor's remark belittles this inspiration and the source of this strength. Governor Cuomo's statement also shows how little he knows about the influence of God and religion in society and Western civilization. Among the innumerable blessings that modern society owes to the church is the hospital system. The book Mending Bodies, Saving Souls, A History of Hospitals by Gunter B. Rees, recounts how the Catholic religion was responsible for the development of medicine, patient care, healthcare professionals, and the idea of a hospital. St. Benedict, for example, included the obligation to care for the sick in his rule, the basic manual for the Benedictine order. Rees states that the influence of monasteries and cathedrals in the corporal acts of mercy spread into general society. Lay confraternities joined the works of mercy. Quote, This task was based on the traditional Christian premise that such assistance was still part of a religious ritual and an important means for acquiring spiritual salvation. Unquote. Thus, the institutionalization of healthcare spread from the general population. The word hospital is derived from the Latin hospitium, which means guest house. It was the place where the sick and the dying were received as guests. No other civilization developed anything similar to this. God's intervention in this epidemic did not begin when Governor Cuomo took his first step to address the crisis. It began centuries before. The divine physician, our Lord Jesus Christ, not only cared for the redemption of the soul, but also for the healing of the body. Hospitals are an expression of his spirit. Jesus may not have diagnosed a dying COVID-19 patient, but he inspired the whole hospital system. Should not this be acknowledged instead of forgotten? Is it not shameful that a public official would take total credit for an effort that depended on institutions founded by religion? Many faithful have questioned Governor Cuomo's Catholic faith. There were numerous calls for his excommunication after he signed a radical late-term abortion law last year on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. His enthusiasm for the abortion bill led him to light up in pink One World Trade Center's 408-foot spire, the Governor Mario M. Cuomo Bridge, the Kosciusko Bridge, and the Alfred E. Smith Building in Albany. He saw this as a fitting way to, quote, celebrate passage of the Reproductive Health Act, unquote. In his Easter Monday remarks, the governor claims he is a Catholic. Although he banned religious services during the crisis, he says he considers Easter as, quote, one of the high holy days, unquote. However, his words do not match his actions. 
like so many other officials. He has excluded God from acting in this crisis with his blasphemous words of self-praise. New York should not be surprised if God abandons the city so that officials might then see how little they really do. Many Catholic leaders appear unconcerned about the positions of either the president or the governor. Fortunately, there are leaders who are willing to speak out on this important issue. In April 2021, Cardinal Raymond Burke joined their ranks. His eminence issued this Statement on the Reception of Holy Communion by Those Who Persist in Public Grave Sin. Many Catholics and also non-Catholics who, while they do not embrace the Catholic faith, respect the Catholic Church for her teaching regarding faith and morals, have asked me how it is possible for Catholics to receive Holy Communion, while at the same time they publicly and obstinately promote programs, policies, and legislation in direct violation of the moral law. In particular, they ask how Catholic politicians and civil officials, who publicly and obstinately defend and promote the practice of abortion on demand, can approach to receive Holy Communion. Their question clearly applies as well to those Catholics who publicly promote policies and laws in violation of the dignity of human life, of those burdened by serious illness, special needs or advanced years, and in violation of the integrity of human sexuality, marriage and the family, and in violation of the free practice of religion. This question merits a response especially as it touches on the very foundations of the Church's teaching regarding faith and morals. Most of all, it touches on the Holy Eucharist, the sacrament of charity, the gift that Jesus Christ makes of himself, thus revealing to us God's infinite love for every man and woman. Jesus continues in the sacrament of the Eucharist to love us to the end, even to offering us his body and blood. It is my hope that the following points of the Church's teaching will be helpful to those who are rightly confused and indeed frequently scandalized by the all-too-common public betrayal of the Church's teaching on faith and morals by those who profess to be Catholic. I will address myself to the question of procured abortion, but the same points apply to other violations of the moral law. 1. Regarding the Holy Eucharist, the Church has always believed and taught that the sacred host is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, God the Son incarnate. The faith of the Church is thus expressed by the Council of Trent, quote, because Christ our Redeemer said that it was truly his body that he was offering under the species of bread. It has always been the conviction of the Church of God, and this Holy Council now again declares that by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord, and of the whole substance of wine into the substance of his blood. Unquote. Therefore, as St. Paul teaches clearly in his first letter to the Corinthians, quote, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Unquote. See 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. 2. 
the reception of Holy Communion by those who publicly and obstinately violate the moral law in its most fundamental precepts is a particularly grave form of sacrilege. In the words of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2120, quote, Sacrilege is a grave sin, especially when committed against the Eucharist. For in this sacrament, the true body of Christ is made substantially present for us. Unquote. It not only merits eternal punishment for the one who receives unworthily, but constitutes a most serious moral scandal for others. That is, it leads them into the false belief that one can publicly and obstinately violate the moral law in a grave manner and still receive our Lord in Holy Communion. A thoughtful person before such a situation must conclude that either the sacred host is not the body of Christ or that the promotion of procured abortion, for instance, is not a grave sin. 3. Canon 915 of the Code of Canon Law, which repeats the perennial and unchanging teaching of the Church, provides, quote, those who have been excommunicated or interdicted after the imposition or declaration of the penalty and others obstinately persevering in grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. Unquote. The denial of Holy Communion is not an ecclesiastical penalty, but the recognition of the objectively unworthy state of a person to approach to receive Holy Communion. The discipline contained in Canon 915 safeguards the sanctity of the most sacred reality in the Church, the Holy Eucharist, keeps the person who obstinately perseveres in grave sin from committing the additional most grievous sin of sacrilege by profaning the body of Christ, and prevents the inevitable scandal which results from the unworthy reception of Holy Communion. 4. It is the duty of priests and bishops to instruct and admonish the faithful who are in the condition described by Canon 915, lest they approach to receive Holy Communion and thus commit a most grave sacrilege, redounding to their own eternal harm, and likewise leading others into error and even sin in such a serious matter. If a person has been admonished and still perseveres in grave public sin, he or she may not be admitted to receive Holy Communion. 5. Clearly, no priest or bishop can grant permission to a person who is in public and obstinate grave sin to receive Holy Communion. Neither is it a question of a discussion between the priest or bishop and the one who is committing the sin but a matter of admonition regarding truths of faith and morals on the part of the priest or bishop and a matter of reform of an erroneous conscience on the part of the sinner. 6. Pope St. John Paul II presented the Church's constant teaching regarding procured abortion in his encyclical letter, Evangelium Vitae. Referring to the consultation of the bishops of the Universal Church in the matter by his letter of Pentecost of 1991, he declared, quote, Therefore, by the authority which Christ conferred upon Peter and his successors, in communion with the bishops, who on various occasions have condemned abortion, and who in the aforementioned consultation, albeit dispersed throughout the world, have shown unanimous agreement concerning this doctrine, 
I declare that direct abortion, that is, abortion willed as an end or as a means, always constitutes a grave moral disorder, since it is the deliberate killing of an innocent human being, unquote. He made clear that his teaching, quote, is based upon the natural law and upon the written tradition of God, is transmitted by the church's tradition and taught by the ordinary and universal magisterium, unquote. 7. It is sometimes argued that a Catholic politician can personally believe in the immorality of abortion while favoring a public policy which provides for so-called legalized abortion. Such was the case, for instance, in the United States of America at the summit of certain Catholic moral theologians who espoused the erroneous moral theory of proportionalism or consequentialism, and Catholic politicians held at the compound of the Kennedy family in Hyannisport, Massachusetts, in the summer of 1964. Pope St. John Paul II responds clearly to such erroneous moral thinking in Evangelium Vitae, quote, No circumstance. No purpose, no law whatsoever can ever make licit an act which is intrinsically illicit, since it is contrary to the law of God, which is written in every human heart, knowable by reason itself, and proclaimed by the Church." In his encyclical letter Veritatis Splendor, Pope St. John Paul II corrects the fundamental error of proportionalism and consequentialism. 8. It is sometimes said that the denial of Holy Communion to politicians who obstinately persevere in grave sin is the use of Holy Communion by the Church for political purposes. On the contrary, it is the Church's solemn responsibility to safeguard the holiness of the Holy Eucharist, to prevent the faithful from committing sacrilege, and to prevent scandal among the faithful and other persons of goodwill. 9. It is rather the Catholic politician who publicly and obstinately promotes what is contrary to the moral law and yet dares to receive sacrilegiously Holy Communion, who uses the Holy Eucharist for political purposes. In other words, the politician presents himself or herself as a devout Catholic, while the truth is completely otherwise. 10. Apart from the denial of Holy Communion to persons who publicly and obstinately violate the moral law, there is also the question of the imposition or declaration of a just ecclesiastical penalty for the sake of calling the person to conversion and of repairing the scandal which his or her actions cause. 11. Those who publicly and obstinately violate the moral law are at least in a state of apostasy. That is, they have effectively abandoned the faith by the obstinate refusal in practice to live in accord with the fundamental truths of faith and morals. See Canon 751. An apostate from the faith automatically incurs the penalty of excommunication. See Canon 1364. The bishop of such a person must verify the conditions for the declaration of the penalty of excommunication, which has been automatically incurred. 12. They may also be in heresy if they obstinately deny or doubt the truth about the intrinsic evil of abortion, as it, quote, 
is to be believed by divine and Catholic faith, unquote, Canon 751. Heresy, like apostasy, incurs automatically the penalty of excommunication, Canon 1364. Also, in the case of heresy, the bishop must verify the conditions for the declaration of the penalty of excommunication, which has been automatically incurred. In conclusion, church discipline, beginning with the Apostle Paul, has consistently taught the necessary disposition of conscience for the reception of Holy Communion. The failure to follow the discipline results in the desecration of the most sacred reality in the Church, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, constitutes the most grave sin of sacrilege, and causes the most serious scandal by the failure to witness to the truth of Holy Communion and the moral truth. For example, the inviolable dignity of human life, the integrity of marriage and the family, and the freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth. The answer to the question so frequently posed to me is clear. A Catholic who publicly and obstinately opposes the truth regarding faith and morals may not present himself or herself to receive Holy Communion, and neither may the minister of Holy Communion give him or her the sacrament. Signed, Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, Rome, April 7th, 2021. This concludes Why Don't American Catholic Politicians Defend the Faith? Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out our motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.